All right, thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles tonight. I'm going to be a little bit off script tonight. Some of the things I'm going to cover are not in your notes. I'd like you to turn to me to 2 Chronicles 26 first, 2 Chronicles 26. And then we're going to go over to, uh, back to Isaiah, 2 Chronicles 26. Look around you. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible or doesn't have an Old Testament, they're going to need that tonight. 2 Chronicles 26. I just want us to read this so you have an idea what's going on when I get to it a little bit later tonight. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture, and then we are going to get right into our message. I'm, for those of you who are, were probably serving during the second hour this morning, I preached from Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, we looked at the holiness of God. And, I, and I, there are two things I'm going to I brought up. One, number one, this morning, I mentioned what, what holiness is in Isaiah chapter 6. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, just you know, go on the podcast and get it. And tonight, we're going to look at uh, the life of Isaiah and what holiness does to you and how holiness should affect you and change you. And so we're going to see that tonight. And I want you to notice in Second Chronicles 26, I, I want you to visualize, if you can catch this this evening, uh, what was in Isaiah's mind, what was in his mind when we get to Isaiah 6.1. I want you just to catch this with me for just a minute tonight. What was in Isaiah's mind as we get to Isaiah 6.1? And then you'll, you'll kind of know where I'm going to go this, this evening. Notice verse 16, Isaiah 26, verse 16. Say amen if you're there. Okay. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. By the way, you might want to write this down. Uzziah's name means Jehovah's my strength. Jehovah's my strength. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction... For he transgressed against the Lord, his God, and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore, or if you would, eighty priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king, and said unto him, Appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. And you have to understand, we should have time to develop this tonight, but uh, the writer here uses two very strong words to describe what he did. They use the word transgress, which basically means he, he crossed a forbidden line. And then the word trespass, which the word trespass can also mean uh, utter depravity. Utter depravity. And so, notice verse 19. Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests, notice all the priests, looked upon him. And behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out. Literally, they threw him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper Unto the day of his death. You might want to underline that tonight. He was a leper unto the day of his death. 
and dwelt in a several house. That, that can mean many things. That can mean a hospital. It can mean a quarantine room. It basically meant a leper's house. He was cut off from normal society. And I want to emphasize that word, cut off. He, you might say it's the word that Isaiah used, I'm, un, I'm undone, which means I'm cut off. And he says he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now notice verse 22. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last. Would you notice that? Because Isaiah, when he came, when, when he... When, when he became prophet, the prophet of God, probably was not at the, at the entry stages of Uzziah because Uzziah reigned for 52 years. And as we look at Isaiah's ministry, Isaiah's ministry was over four kings. He probably came somewhere towards the latter half or to the last quarter of Uzziah's reign. But the Bible says because God inspired him what to write. It says here that he, he wrote... Now, the rest of the Acts of Uzziah, first and last. And what's important here is what's last. Did Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, write? So he wrote about what he saw. And so Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers. Notice this, not in the sepulchers, but in the field of the burial which belonged to the kings. For they said... This is the last thing said about him. He is a leper, and Jotham, his son, reigned in his stead. Now go with me to Isaiah chapter 6, please. That in your mind, I want you to consider with me Isaiah chapter 6 tonight. As you look at the second part of the message where I left off this morning. And I want to read verses 1 to 7 once again. In the year that King Uzziah died, and we read... In 2 Chronicles 26, 22, that Isaiah the prophet wrote about the acts of Uzziah first and last. This is rich in his mind. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, speaking of Isaiah, saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims, Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And may I just give you a commentary on that tonight? Get used to that. That's what we're going to be singing in heaven. Amen. Get used to it now. They, They rested not day and night, the Bible says, and in Revelation chapter 4, as those four beasts with six wings cried, Holy, holy, holy. It's not boring. Amen? It's not boring. It's not dull. It is not out of sync. It is utterly relevant. It is God. Amen? This is holy vocabulary. Get used to it tonight. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth. By the way, let me say this tonight. If you want to clean up your words and clean up your speech, just keep on saying that. Amen? He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with wood. Now I want you, I want you to get with me. 
Isaiah, for just a minute, I'm just give me some thoughts here. You can stand for a little bit because I'm going to be standing for a long time tonight. Amen? Okay. Isaiah has been grieving the passing of a king who ministered, the ministered to. He's grieving his death. He's grieving the kind of death he had. I'm thinking about one cancer patient I went to see years ago before I was in the ministry. And embedded in my thoughts is how that man passed on from this life. He had brain cancer, surgeries probably three or four times. And when we went to the room, they told us to put on the equivalent hazmat suits. This is back in the probably early 80s, maybe late 70s. And I don't know how to describe it to you, but I didn't even recognize him. The tumors were protruding out of his head in different places. I didn't even know how to explain it. I'm thankful that even at that last moment, the 11th hour, in his waning consciousness, he accepted Christ and got saved. But I'm going to tell you, if you took a look at him, he didn't look like a human being. It was awful. It's embedded in my thoughts. I'll never forget this. And I want you to understand, Isaiah is looking at, is just watch the decline and the deterioration of Uzziah. And God got his thoughts off that. He had to see the Lord. He had to see the Lord. I'm going to say some things about that tonight. And so he's moved by all this. And notice verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, that is cut off. I'm about to perish because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king. Notice capital K. Amen. Not little K. Capital K. I, mine eyes have seen the king. There's only one king. Amen. There's only one king. The Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live or living coal in his hand. I mean, it's, it's burning hot. A live coal is what you use to bring dead coals alive. Right? If you're going to perpetuate, if you want to keep the coals going, it's burning red. It's hot. And he took a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the golden tongs from off the altar, and he laid that or laid it upon my mouth. And he said, Lo, that's the seraphim speaking. This has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. I want you to notice with me a couple key words so you can understand my title tonight. Chapter 6, verse 1. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord... Verse 5, then said I, verse 8, which we didn't read, but we will later, and I heard the voice of the Lord. Now, here's the title tonight, if you'll, you'll, if you'll, you'll stay with me this evening. Just one look. This did not happen twice. Just one look. That's all it took. Just one look of the holiness of God. That's all it took. And his life was changed forever. 
This evening we wanted, we looked at this morning what is holiness. We looked at its essence. We looked at the encounter. We looked at the expectation. Tonight, we want to see what holiness does to you when you see holiness. When that encounter happens, what should happen to your life and my life? Father, now this evening, I thank you for your church. What a loving congregation of people. And uh, our folks are making their way in tonight. Please make this message that you've given to me understandable. Work past my weaknesses and my frailties and my inadequacy tonight because there's no way, Lord, I can adequately preach about holiness. I don't really know anything about it. But I need to I need to get what Isaiah got. And we need to get what Isaiah got. And as I sometimes pray, Lord, I pray tonight, give us an Isaiah chapter 6 moment. Like he said, we're undone. We have unclean lips. And we dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Give understanding tonight. I pray the Spirit of God, just as the winds have been blowing today across the Bay Area, blow into our souls tonight. God, blow some dirt out of our lives. Blow out, blow out, blow out those dirty thoughts. Blow out the carnality. No breath of heaven. Breathe in our hearts revival tonight. Breathe in us, Lord, that holiness that Isaiah saw and Isaiah got. And we'll thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to get right into it tonight. Just one look. That's all it took for Isaiah. I want to see the revelation of God's holiness in Isaiah's life. And as he transitioned from the fifth chapter of Isaiah, of this beautiful picture of a vineyard. And I said this this morning, I, I believe as we go back, and we don't have time to study it right now, but as we'll see some things about Isaiah's, about Uzziah's life, Uzziah was a man who loved husbandry, the Bible says. And he planted a lot of vineyards. And perhaps much of the Judean landscape that had vineyards, you probably would attribute that to King Uzziah's vision and his ambition to grow a lot of, lot of grapevines. And perhaps because of that, that, and again, this is conjecture on my part, you won't find that in the Bible there, but it could be perhaps because of the beautifulness of those vineyards that God was working Isaiah's heart and, and he gave him this, 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 this song here in chapter five about his well beloved being a vineyard. And I said this this morning that as we read through the book of Isaiah, a lot of the Old Testament, there's a lot of just beautiful and colorful pictures that God gives us to help the Bible, which is already living, just become just very colorful and emblazoned in our mind, just a thought or an idea or a doctrine or concept about God or a truth that we need to grasp there. And, and so we, we find here that he's coming out of this beautiful picture and God has presented to him in chapter 5 this matter of the sin of Judah and how bad the people had gone from God. And in chapter 5, there are six different woes that God gives here in chapter 5 about the people, about woes about 
uh, just talking about how, 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 how bad a shape they were in. And he, and he deals with some tough subjects. I mean, even today in contemporary Christianity, this is not preached very often because, quite honestly, it, de- it confronts you about your sins. And, and he's dealing with chapter 5, for instance, chapter 5, verse 5, about drinking. And I'm just going to go on statement tonight. It's on the internet this evening. I'm just going on statement. The Bible is very clear. Christians should not drink. Alcohol, drinking alcohol is a sin. And it's just what it is. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is, is you know, it's, it's a bad thing. And we find a lot of things in Proverbs about that there. And, and in fact, I have a verse that God gave me yesterday. I was doing some study early in the morning from Deuteronomy. Verse that God gave me that I'll probably use as to his reference one of these days as I, I'll probably preach about the Christian and wine once again. But anyway, that's one of the woes and other woes he gave here. Notice verse 20. He talks about they were calling evil good and good evil back in the day. Can you imagine that's going on in our day, but they were calling it that in their day. And he talks about in verse, verse 21 about self-righteousness. Those who are wise in their own eyes are conceited and arrogant and prudent in their own eyes. And verse 22, he's talking about those who, who intoxicate other people. They, they, they give other people, uh, you know, alcoholic beverages to drink and things of that nature. So you have to understand as we, he mentions these six different woes in verse 8, he talks about, uh, their covetousness there in verse 8. He, he mentions these woes there and he's coming off then. And then verses 16, 19 to 24, uh, Isaiah gets a, a, a strong, very, a very strong, uh, if you would, exposure to the holiness of God there. And I talked about that this morning. We're not getting it tonight. Now we get to chapter 6, and in between all this, King Uzziah has died. And we get to chapter 6, verse 1. Uzziah has died. And we see King Isaiah the prophet during a state of mourning and grieving that God, God is really getting a hold of him. He's at, he's at a bottom place in his life. And, and, you know, God wants us to know in the year that this man died, he was grieving. He was not indifferent to it. He was not hardened to it. He was grieving. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Now, I want you to notice tonight in our passage how holiness, the holiness of God, as we work our way through this message tonight, the holiness of God changed Isaiah's life and what he saw and what it did to him. And there are four things I want you to see tonight that Isaiah saw. Number one, I want you to notice this evening very simply. Would you notice Isaiah saw his king? Now I'm talking about King Uzziah. He saw his king. And if you go back to chapter 26, and I don't have time to get into it because I need to get the rest of the message. But it says here in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, he saw his king. He wrote about his king. He wrote about his acts. The Bible says in Second Chronicles 26, 22, about the first and last acts. Now, notice some things he saw about his king, because we need to, I don't want to spend a lot of time on Uzziah, but we have to start there. First of all, as he saw King Uzziah, he saw King Uzziah in his dominion. Now, he was, he came to the throne at age 16. And he reigned for 52 years. That was a long reign. It was a prosperous reign for the most part. It was a long reign. And we read some things about this man as he came to the throne at age 16. And first of all, we read about the fact in his domain, we see the, we see his consecration. The very first thing we find out is that he sought the Lord with his heart. And he did that which right in the sight of the Lord. And it says he sought God in the days of Zechariah. And he, and just as his very name means, he, his name means my, uh, the Jehovah is my strength. He, he sought his strength. And his help from God. I mean, those early years of his ministry that he got his help from God. He's a consecrated man. Hey, what a wonderful thing to start off well, but it's a wonderful thing to end well too. Amen. 
And he started well, but he ended, but he didn't end as well. But he started well and he did right. He was, his strength was of God and he found his power in God and God was doing some great things. And in those early days of his ministry, he was going with great gusto and great enthusiasm, great excitement serving God. Here was a man that was consecrated, but in his, but we see a man who also constructed. He was a, he was a builder. He built cities. He built towers. He built walls. He shored up things. I mean, he was a builder. He examined things. He did start off as a contractor, but as we get Get through this, get through this man's life. He's building things and good kings always built things. You know, they built walls as a fortification and they put towers up. I mean, they gave demonstrations to the people around them who recognized they were, they, they were paying very careful attention to what's going on. Hey, it's a good thing to build things. It's a good thing to build a church. Amen. It's a good thing to build people's lives through discipleship. It's a good thing to build the church through soul winning. It's a good thing to build the church through preaching. It's a good thing every now and then as we grow to put some buildings up and knock down some walls and to do some building he was constructing but you notice something else he was cultivating he was cultivating he, he dug wells and he built vineyards as i said the bible says it emphasized he loved husbandry he raised cattle he constructed he cultivated he conquered he uh we read in in, in that that 26th chapter there that he warred against the Philistines and broke down their walls and, and he defeated them and he was very decisive. He had a core of men. He had an army, a brigade of men. Uh, he had mighty men of valor and a large army that he prepared and, and he was a very good strategist. He had, he had uh, generals and, 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 and captains in places who could rule over other men. And so as we look at him, he saw, he saw King Uzziah in his dominion. But notice, if you went with me, he saw King Uzziah in his disease and we saw that in Second Chronicles 26. The Bible says that Uzziah got to that place in his life towards that latter years that he got so confident in himself and he got so strong. The Bible says he, he, was, he was marvelously helped until he became strong. And we find him gravitating because of the confidence he had in his walls and his buildings and his cities and his wealth and his men and his militia and his money and all these things. We find that this man became conceited and very arrogant. He was trusting in what he did instead of what God was. He forgot that the very name he had represented that his strength was from Jehovah. But he thought his strength was from himself. And so he decided to cross some barriers he should not have. And he decided because he was very cocky and very conceited and very arrogant and very proud. He crossed that line and he decided, you know what? I think the priests are moving too slow. And I think the priests are not offering the incense the way I like to do it. I, I, you know, they father found the way that was passed to them by the sons of Aaron. And he says, you know what? I kind of feel like I, I watch them as they offer this incense. We, we could do a little bit better. And quite honestly, I feel like I want to offer the incense. Now, he wasn't set apart. He wasn't consecrated as a priest. He wasn't a priest. He was a king. And he crossed the line when he went into the temple and grabbed a censer and he bypassed the priest and whatever his criticisms were of them, he decided he wanted to be the one who could offer the incense. He decided that he was the man of God. He decided that he was the priest. And so he offered this incense. And as Azariah, the high priest, and 80 other priests with him, they saw what he did. They couldn't believe that this man had brought brazenly and cockily and just in a, just a haughty way, he walked right past him, grabbed a censer, he put some fire in it, he started burning incense. They said, what are you doing? And the Bible says they confronted him. They said, you can't do this. And they didn't even call him king in that passage we read. They basically called him by his first name. And so he said, Uzziah, it appertaineth not to thee to do that which, uh, which the consecrated sons of Aaron should do. And the Bible tells us that 
that Uzziah was robbed. He wasn't angry. He was filled with wrath. I mean, he was at a point right there where he felt like, you know what? You don't tell me what to do. You don't get in my face. You didn't build any armies. You didn't, you didn't strategize these generals. You didn't plant these vineyards. You didn't build these walls. You didn't defeat these cities. You didn't go to war against the Philistines. Who do you think you are just sitting there going through your daily duties as a priest? Who do you think you are? And the Bible says as he became wroth, I mean, he's filled with, with, with vengeance and retaliation and he wants to hurt and he wants to be malicious. You understand tonight when there, where there's wrath, there's maliciousness and there's retaliation and there's revenge and it's awful and it's a work of the flesh and it's, there's just all kinds of bad things associated with wrath. And as he did so, the Bible says the, 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 the leprosy started to rise to him. Now I want you to understand tonight the leprosy here. We're going to look at it in a moment. But there's a whole process that the priests had to go through to determine if a man had leprosy. Because if a man had leprosy, he was determined unclean. And if he was determined unclean, he could not have contact with the rest of society. He had to be like kind of what's happening with the people who have coronavirus. They're basically isolated off. But much worse, leprosy was deemed to be contagious. And so go with me over to Leviticus 13 for for a quick moment here. Would you do that? Leviticus 13. So you can understand what's going on here. And and so you can understand what's going on in Isaiah's mind. We go over to, uh, to Leviticus chapter 13. And just for time, I want you to notice verse 43 to 51. We're going to read here and I'm going to give you a short commentary about this diagnosis of, 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 of leprosy and the responsibility of the priest in this matter because it was the priest who had to make determination. Is this person clean or unclean? They, they, made, they made the decision. They deemed whether that person was acceptable or unacceptable there. And so, and remember when Jesus, we saw when lepers, he healed lepers. He told them, okay, don't go home to your family first. Go to the priest first. Show yourself to the priest. He says, subject yourself to the law. Have them de- deem you to be, uh, to, be, to be clean there. And so notice we get to verse 43 here, Leviticus 13. Say amen if you're there. Amen. The Bible says, then the priest shall look upon it. Excuse me, go back to verse 42. And if there be in the bald head or bald forehead, let's just sit right here in your forehead here. It says a white reddish sword. That They knew what he was talking about there. It was a peculiar looking sword. That developed on the forehead. It was visible to the eye. And the Bible calls it a white, reddish sore. And he says it's a leprosy sprung up in his bald head or his bald forehead. It was visible. Then the priest shall look upon it. Now remember, the priest had to go through a detailed process of looking at this leprosy. Because you don't want to misdiagnose this. Because if you're the person with this spot, you don't want to be called unclean. If you're called unclean... You're going to be, you're separated from the rest of society. You can't live with your family. And it gets pretty much worse than that as they go through the diagnosis. You'll see with me in a moment. And so you want to be the person to make sure that the priest is looking. He had to be an expert in this thing. If he's examining it, you want him to examine it and hopefully tell you, you're not, you're not unclean, you're clean. And maybe just tell you, you're going to be separated for seven days and we're going to see what happens. And then seven days later, you come back and we'll examine it. And if it's just pure white and it's not reddish or whatever there and it's, it hasn't spread, then we'll deem that you're, that you're clean. But notice what he tells him here. He says, then the priest should look upon it. And behold, if the rising, that is, it's spreading, the increasing, and it's, it's going from the forehead up and down. If the rising of the sore be white reddish in his bald head or in his bald forehead, as the leprosy appeareth in the skin of the man, he is a leprous man, he is unclean. Now you take that and you go with me back to Second Chronicles 26 and you see this man, Uzziah, and Uzziah, as he became wroth, the leprosy is rising in his forehead. You get what I'm saying? It's rising in his forehead. It's exactly 
what was determining here, this analysis they're doing, this diagnosis, he said it was rising, and the priest had examined it, and it, before they would determine him unclean. I mean, this is happening not over seven days. This is happening in seven seconds. Amen? I mean, it's rising very quickly. I mean, it's just, it's overcoming this man. And so we get to verse 43, verse 44, when he says, he makes it, God says, here's the diagnosis. He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him Utterly, and notice that phrase here, he's utterly, utterly unclean. In other words, he's, he's contaminated. He's messed up. He cannot have contact with the rest of society. He's utterly unclean. The plague, his plague is in his head, but it gets worse than that. Notice this. And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent and his head bare, and he shall be covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. Now you've heard, you've seen preachers, but here's what's happening. As he's declared unclean, all his clothing is taken off him because, as we'll see in a moment, even his clothing is contaminated. They would examine his clothing as well there, too. And he put a covering over his lip, and basically, he had to make his own public announcement as he walked around town and villages and different places. He would, pop, he would put a, a, something over his lip like this, and he'd go, Unclean! 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 And that image, if you would, of that happening in Uzziah is now getting embedded into... Isaiah's mind, because he watched this king before he died. He watched that king as the leprosy was rising in his forehead. And he was determined right there in the spot, Azariah and the priest de de declared him to be unclean. They thrust him out of the temple because he was unclean. You can imagine now this king, he had to take off those clothing, the royal robes that he had. And he had to put on different kind of garments, if you would. And he would walk around just like everyone else as part of a leper, leper colony. Unclean! Unclean, he would cover his lip. Unclean, I'm contaminated. I'm corrupt. I've got leprosy. And so notice as he does this, verse 46, and all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, and that was all his days, the remainder of his days, all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. In other words, he's saying here, there's no turnaround. There's no turnaround. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. And notice verse 47, the garment also that the plague of leprosy is in, whether it be a woolen garment or a linen garment, would you notice this next phrase here? You probably have read this and wonder what it is. Whether it be in the warp or the woof. Now, the warp or the woof, if you, don't, if you read that very quickly and don't study that, you don't understand what he's talking about there. If you're a seamstress, if you sew, if you knit, if you crochet, if you know anything about fabrics, you know something about the warp and the woof. The warp and the woof describes the basic, the basic of, 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 of fabrics. Basically, the warp is, is, the, is the thread that runs lengthwise, and the woof, if you would, is the thread that runs crosswise. And so, think with me of someone who's crocheting, you've got the warp and the woof. And he's saying here, notice what he says, he's talking about, and when we use that term, we don't use it a lot, but when we use it in certain circles, we're talking about the basic foundation of an organization, or the basic foundation of a life, or the basic foundation of a city, or the basic foundation of a kingdom, is talking about, it's talking about the very central. I mean, you look at your fabric, I look at my suit I've got on right now, there is a warp 
and there's a whoop. However, it was constructed, how it was woven. The warp was that which is going lengthwise, and the woof was that going crosswise. And as they started to weave it and pull it together, I have a jacket, and I have a pair of pants, and I have a shirt on. And if you would, they, they, there's the warp, and the woof is the berry section. And we don't think about it, but it's that which pulls it together. It's the construction of the woven, of the woven, do, of the woven garment that gives you what you and I have to wear here. Well, notice what he's saying here about this here. He said, whether it be the warp, or the woof, he's talking about the leprosy, or the linen, or of the woolen, whether in a skin or in anything made of, uh, of skin. And if the plague, now he's talking about the leprosy there, if the plague be greenish or reddish in the garment or in the skin, either in the warp, that's in the bare thread, either in the warp or in the, I mean, in other words, you it can't, it can't be hidden. He said, it, it, you may not see with the human eye, but if you, but you've got to look carefully there. And he's saying, you've got to examine this very carefully. And he says, and if the plague be greenish or reddish in the garment or in the skin, either in the warp or in the woof or anything of skin, it is a plague of leprosy and shall be showed unto the priest. I want you to understand here, the contamination is so bad. The contamination is so bad. And the diagnosis is so thorough. They're not just looking at the individual skin. They're looking at the clothing that he wore. And they're checking even the warp and the woof. They're looking at the just the thread that goes lengthwise and the thread that goes crosswise. Is there contamination? Is this a reddish color or a greenish color? Has it kind of just has it has it has it spread into there? Because even in that light in just in that sense, we don't think anything of it. It's contaminated. In other words, if it's contaminated, who's gonna touch that garment? Who's gonna even pick it up? It is a contaminated garment. You don't want anything, you want anything to touch it because because the oozing coming out of the skin of that leprous person got into it. And the Bible says here in verse fifty, and the priest shall look upon Upon the plague and shall shut up it that has the plague seven days. And he shall look on the plague on the seventh day. And the plague be spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof or in the skin or any work that is made of, uh, of skin. The plague, notice this, is a fretting leprosy. Now, the word fretting, write this down in your, in your Bible tonight. The word fretting basically means it's, it's basically malignant. It's spread. It's spreading. It's a fretting. You can't stop it. Can you imagine what's going on here? A leprous person takes off his clothing. He's commanded to take off his clothing. And the priest only examines the individual. But he's so thorough in his diagnosis. He's examining his clothing. And they're going to shut it up for seven days. And if it's spread for that seven period of time, they said, now we've got a problem here. And so we, we, they said, they're not just looking at the individual. They're looking whatever that individual touched. Whatever his life touched that contaminated it. And so... He looks on it, for, and he says, if it's spread, in verse 51, it is a fretting leprosy or malignant leprosy, it is unclean. And he says of the priest, he shall therefore burn that garment, whether warp or woof, in woolen or in linen, or anything of skin, whether, whether, wherein the plague is, for it is a fretting leprosy, it shall be burnt in the fire, and the priest shall look, and behold, the plague be not spread, and so forth. Then he says, then, then he'll go, he has another process. But what I want you to notice there in that passage of Scripture, just for time. Isaiah saw his king in his disease. He saw this man contaminated. He was there when he saw the leprosy rise. He was there when he saw him have to change his clothing. And he was there when Azariah and the priests had to examine the clothing and, and isolate that to determine, does he have a fretting leprosy, which he did. He had a fretting leprosy that was spreading. And he had to look at him, and he sees him being infected and unclean. He saw his king leprosy over him. He saw this gruesome picture, this very, very horrific 
gruesome picture of a man who, before he sinned against God, healthy, vibrant, in the prime of his life, he's probably... This he reigned for 52 years. He's probably between 65 and 68 years of age, but looking really good for 65. Very strong in his mind, very strong in his will. Probably a lot of vision, this man. But because of his conceitedness and arrogance and saying, basically, I don't care who the priests are. I don't care what they do. I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to burn the incense and do my thing. They look at this man and just in moments, his whole life is changed. In moments, everything's turned. And Isaiah has seen all this. He's seen his king and his dominion. He has seen his king and his disease. He sees his king being disciplined. The priest thrust him out. This leprosy is spreading. The Bible says he himself got out of there as quickly as he could. The Bible says he lived the rest of his days in a several house, in a compound, maybe by himself. Where only lepers could be. He would never be allowed again to come back into the temple. He would never be allowed again to go back into his throne. He would never be allowed again back into the palace. He would never be allowed again back with his family. It was a fretting leprosy. He was disciplined by God. He was cast out. Isaiah sees his king. He sees his king. He's there on the day of his passing. He's there at the funeral. He's there watching him. He's not given an honorable burial in the sepulchres of the kings. He's given less than honorable. I won't call it dishonorable, but less than honorable by being buried in a field because he had leprosy. And the Bible says he was a leper until the day of his death. He sees his king who deteriorated because of leprosy. And you might mark this down tonight. Wherever we see leprosy in the Bible... Leprosy is always a picture of sin. It is always a picture of sin. Now, let's go on tonight. He saw the leprosy was a consequence of his sin. He saw the wreckage of sin. He saw Uzziah, the Bible says in Isaiah 6.1, go back to Isaiah, the care the king Uzziah died. That's what's in his mind. That's what's in his mind. That's what he saw that got embedded in his mind. Number one, he saw his king. But would you notice, number two, I'm not going to dwell on that anymore. We're done with that. Number two, he saw his creator. Amen? He saw another king. The king. The only king. Immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Amen? The only potentate of potentates. The Lord of lords and the king of kings. And he says here, In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Now, the word for Lord here is not the word you would think it is, Jehovah. It's not Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah refers to God's covenant relationship with his people. The word Lord here is the very very first time the word Lord is used in in Genesis. It's the word Adonai. Adonai is very closely um, paralleled, if I can say, or synonymous with the word, the name Elohim, because it speaks of God as his, as, as in his rulership. God is creator. God is sovereign. God is mighty. God is powerful. And so we notice if we would, he says, I saw the one who's my creator, the one who's my ruler, the one who's in control, the one who's sovereign, 
the one who's the lily of the valleys and the rose of Sharon. Amen. He said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. He said he saw the worst of man, but praise God, he saw the excellence of God. He saw what sin does to man, but he saw a God who's sinless. He saw ugliness through sin, but he saw the beauty of the holiness of God. And so we can go on there all night tonight. But you notice tonight, God got his mind, God cleaned up his mind and changed his thinking as he got his mind shifted from what was embedded in his thoughts of a king who was consumed with leprosy, a fretting leprosy, as the Bible says, that was consumed and died of that. And God gets his eyes on the most important king, and that's God himself. And he said, I saw also the Lord also. No, when he saw the Lord, notice number one in verse one, he saw the Lord in his authority. He saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Now, God is on his throne. And I want to tell you tonight, God is still on his throne tonight. Amen? God's going to be on his throne tomorrow. Whether, regardless of what governments do, regardless of what bombs are dropped, regardless of what plagues are in the world, regardless of all these things, it doesn't change one thing. God is on his throne. And God is not going to come off his throne for you. And he's not going to come off his throne for me. And he's not going to come off his throne because somebody else got elected as president or the Congress changes. God is on his throne. And by the way, he's sitting on his throne because everything's settled as far as God's concerned. Amen. There is no army greater than God. There is no conquest greater than God. Sometimes I read these articles about these new inventions that our government has and these new new bombers they have and these new bombs. And those are all great things. But I'm going to tell you, God's still on his throne. It doesn't change who God is. And so King Uzziah dies and Isaiah had to get a freshness of the authority of God that the Lord is sitting upon the throne. And notice, he's sitting upon his throne. He made it very clear to you and me. He's high and lifted up. In other words, there is no kingdom. There is no principality. There is no power. There is no demon. There is no Satan. There is no king. There is no dictator. There is no monarch. No, it's just God. He's high and lifted up sitting on his throne. Amen. And he says here about his, about his robe, his entire robe filled the temple. And that's beautiful to me, amen? I mean, you're talking about the hem of his garment spread out. It covered the... I mean, you know basically what it means? God filled up the room. God fills up the temple. By the way, God ought to fill up your heart, amen? And God ought to fill up your mind. And God needs to fill up this church. And God needs to fill up our service. And God needs to fill up... He needs to, it needs to be all encompassing about everything God does there. And so he saw God in his authority. But notice, and notice in Deuteronomy 4.39, uh, Moses said this, Know therefore this day, and sit it in thy heart... That the Lord, He is God in heaven, above and above and upon the earth beneath, there is none else. And Moses said that back in Deuteronomy 4.39. He saw His Creator in His authority. Notice in verses 2 and 3, He saw His Creator in His adoration. As he sees this, this, this incredible scene of the Lord sitting upon His throne. And I mentioned this morning that what he's seeing here it was, was He was getting a vision of the Millennial Kingdom. He's getting a vision of the millennial temple. He's getting a vision of what, what, what it's going to be like in, in the millennium. By the way, millennium is going to be great. Amen. You, you better make sure you're saved because you want to be the millennium. Amen. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, you talk about unprecedented peace and you talk about uh, uh, the Lord's kingdom and all that. And so we find here that as, as this is all going on, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. But notice God gives him something to see that helps him understand what our response should be as we see the Lord high and lifted up. And that response we see, uh, we see. Uh, demonstrated by the angelic beings that are, that are also created beings. These angelic beings called seraphims, which the word seraphim means the fiery ones of God. These seraphims who uh, have six wings and with two they cover their face and with two they cover their feet so there's nothing exposed and, and they're, they're just
just, they're just in awe of who God is. And the other two are just kind of transporting them along. And the Bible says these seraphims are, are flying around. They're above the throne of God. And they're crying out with adoration. They're singing what we're going to be singing in heaven according to Revelation chapter 4. They're just singing a song. It's holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. Now, let me say tonight. These contemporary churches that like to sing their 7-Eleven choruses that repeat over and over the same thing. Why don't they sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty? Why don't they sing, Holy, 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 God is Almighty? Why don't they sing that and sing it in, in, in such a sense that there's awe and worship in it? Instead of appealing to the sensual nature of man, they appeal to the spiritual nature of man. And notice these, these seraphims are crying out in heaven, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. And notice, I love this part here, they said, the whole earth is full of His glory. Now where you find the glory of God, the glory of God is His holiness, and His holiness is His glory. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory or the holiness of God. It's adoration. Oswald Chambers said this, worship is giving God the best that He has given you. That's a good thought. Be careful what you do with the best you have. Whenever you get a blessing from God, give it back to Him as a love gift. That's a great thought as we get ready for our giving by faith offering. Take time to meditate before God and offer the blessing back to Him in a deliberate act of worship. And I'm going to tell you, as Isaiah is looking at this image and he's, he's, what he sees and what he hears is kind of like what, what, what is mentioned there in Isaiah chapter 40, which is the theme for our study through the book of Isaiah. Behold your God. And oh, I just think in his mind, he's hearing this, this over and over in mind. It's, it's just basically taking the painful memories of, of, of Uzziah's leprosy and it's replaced it with the beautiful thought that holy is he, holy is he, holy is my Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And there, it's just kind of like that song, that, come, let us adore. He sees the Lord in his adoration. He sees the Lord in his authority. But notice, he sees the Lord who is awesome. Would you go back to verse 3 again? Holy, holy, holy. Holiness is acknowledging the triune God. It's acknowledging all, all facets of the Godhead. It's acknowledging God the Father who is holy. And God the Son who is holy. And acknowledging the Holy Spirit of God by his own name who is holy. The awesomeness of God's holiness. He saw God in his holiness. He saw the one who has no sin and cannot sin. He saw truth as it really is. He saw righteousness as it really is. He saw the glory of God as it should be depicted. He saw the glory of God as it is. He saw the holiness of the, of the Godhead. He saw God who is holy. The completeness and unbrokenness of, of holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In other words, He is over all. The whole earth is full of His glory. And whether the evolutionists or the anthropologists or the atheists want to acknowledge God or not, all of God's creation, the whole earth acknowledges that it's full of His glory. Tozer said this, In holiness, God is more clearly seen than in anything else, save in the person of Christ Jesus the Lord, of whose life such holiness is but a repetition. And so we see now a, tra- a change over here. Isaiah sees his king who's died of leprosy in the year the king Uzziah died. Isaiah sees his creator who's perpetually holy, who is holy from, from beginning to end, who has, no, who has no beginning, who has no ending, who's forever and ever. He's infinitely holy. He's beautifully holy. He's marvelously holy. He's powerfully holy. Everything that describes God is holy. All of the attributes of God are an emanation of that holiness. As we understand God and his attributes, his love is holy. His mercies are holy. His judgments are holy. His knowledge is holy. His wisdom is holy. His acts are holy. His propitiation is holy. His justification, I mean, everything about God is holy about the Lord there. But notice Isaiah, as we get to this, he's seeing all this. He's seen his creator, and he's seen the king. But notice in verses 5 through 6, he sees his condition. 
Tozer said this, we can never know who or what we are till we know at least something of what God is. That's a great thought. We can never know who or what we are till we know at least something of what God is. Tozer made another statement I quoted this morning. What we think about God is the greatest thing about us. And we have to think about the fact that at that moment of time, Isaiah is going through a metamorphosis, spiritual metamorphosis at that moment. There is a major transformation happening in his life because as he saw the holiness of God, he was rejoicing, but he also had repentance. And you get to verse 5 here, and he notice he sees his condition. First of all, he sees his corruption. And he says things like, woe is me. And he says, I'm undone. The first thing he thought is, I've just seen God in his holiness. I've prayed many times, but I've seen God for the first time in his holiness. And I've read the scriptures many times. I've read Genesis, and I've read Exodus, and I've read Leviticus, and I've read Numbers, I've read Deuteronomy, I've read Joshua, I've read the Kings. I'm writing, I'm writing some things about Uzziah, but I've, but that's the first time I've seen God's holiness. He says, this is the very first time my life has been affected by the holiness of God. And he says, I am undone. I, I, he says, listen, I'm cut off. I'm in bad shape. I'm in trouble. God help my soul. Woe is me, I'm undone, I'm about to perish. He said, I saw the holiness of God. I can't believe, I've just seen the holiness of God. He says, I think I'm going to die right now. I don't think I could take any more of this because he says, I'm seeing what I really am. He saw his corruption. He said, I'm undone. Then he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I said this this morning, I'm going to repeat it for some of you who weren't here this morning. He didn't say, I was a man of, I'm a man of, with an unclean life. Isaiah knew what he's talking about. Because he saw his king who had leprosy. Unclean, unclean, unclean lips, unclean, unclean. He thought about that image. He had leprosy, but I'm unclean too. You see, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What you say tells everybody what's inside. What comes out was already brewing inside. And I said this this morning, flashing through Isaiah's mind. Here's some of the things he was thinking about. He's thinking about all the things he should have said that he never said. He thought about all the praying he should have done that he didn't do. He thought about all the greetings he should have given in Jesus' name that he did not give. He thought about all the witnessing he should have done that he never witnessed about. He thought about all the soul winning he could have done that he did not do. He thought about all the praises he should have made that he did not do. He thought about all the congregational singing that he sang half-heartedly and barely moving his lips. He thought about all the things he could have said with his mouth that he didn't say. Then he thought about all the things he did say that he regretted that he did say. He thought about his gossip. He thought about his evil speaking. He thought about his swearing. He thought about his cursing. He thought about his critical spirit. He thought about his bitter words. He thought about angry words. He thought about all the things he should not have said. Listen, he said, I'm a man of uncleanness. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh there. He says, I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. People with unclean lips. 
Man, he put it right where it's at. This is all of us. <laughs> all of us. Out of abundance of our heart, the mouth speaketh. He's thinking back in the previous chapter as he's prophesied to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah and Judah, all these woes, all they've done. He said, now it's pointing back at me. He's seen the holiness of God. He saw his king unclean, unclean. He thought, I'm a man undone. I've unclean lips. Woe is me. Woe is me. For I've seen, for with mine eyes, notice what he says there, I have seen the king, the real king. Amen? The real king. The eternal king. The perpetual king. The holy king. I've, mine eyes have seen, hey, have your eyes seen the king? Have your eyes seen the king? The Lord of hosts. You read your Bible, you're looking for something that you can take off on, impress people, or do you see Jesus? My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Just one look. Just one look. He had a long time to look at Uzziah. We're not told how many years he had that leprosy. I think it was fast moving. But that was embedded in his mind when we get to verse 1. And God wanted him to see. I don't want you thinking and dwelling on what you saw there. He's dead. He's gone. I had to deal with him. But you're still here. You're still here. You need to see something different. Just one look. Just one look. Changed his whole outlook. Just one look. Changed his whole outlook. Notice he saw his corruption. But notice, secondly, we see his concern. Woe is me. Have you ever been at the place in your Christian life where you became so concerned about your life, you said, woe is me? Have you? I haven't. Have you been so convicted of your sin, any sin, that you said, like him, woe is me? And you know, we downplay sins of speech, but they're bad. (laughs) The Bible says, have no corrupt communication out of your mouth, neither foolish talking or jesting. He said, woe is me. He had, was concerned. The holiness of God should make us concerned. Amen? Should make us concerned about our character. Make us concerned about our thinking. About our spirit. But notice, as we read verse 5, he, we see this man who sees his corruption. He, he, you know, he sees his concern. But he's convicted. He's deeply under conviction about who he is. And he doesn't have to tell God, I'm convicted. God knew at that moment of time, he had exactly where he wanted to be. Hey, listen, when you have this encounter with the holiness of God, there's going to come a point where you and I, God will have us exactly where we need to be. And we see his cure. Would you notice that? Because while he's thinking at that moment, he's just thinking, woe is me. I'm such, I'm, I'm messed up. He's, I mean, there's contriteness in his heart. One, one of the seraphims comes. And he, remember, he's in this temple. He's seen the millennial temple. He goes to the altar with those golden tongs. Anything gold in the altar, anything gold in the temple represented the sovereignty and perfection of God. With those golden tongs, he picks up a live burning coal. He places it on the mouth of this man. Notice verse 6, 7. He places it on his mouth and he says, 
Mo, this has touched thy lips. Thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. You see, his confession was already happening when he, in verse 5, he's confessing what he is and what he was. And there was cleansing by fire. And he received this cleansing by mercy. And God in his holiness was, was demonstrating the abundance of mercy by sending the seraphim with a live burning coal. I mean, it had instructions from God. Just go down there, take a coal, touch his lips. It's going to burn it away. And you know, sometimes God has to put us in a very, very tight circumstance and a fiery circumstance so that the fire can burn away some things to help us realize who we are. And he says, and he gave him words of relief and words of comfort. He said in verse 7, Lo, this has touched thy lips. And he says, thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. He says, you're purged. You're clean. You're right. Hey, listen, he's got a right fellowship with God. Hey, just one look. Isaiah saw his king. Isaiah saw his creator. Isaiah saw his condition as we close tonight. I want you to notice this tonight. Isaiah heard his calling. You listen to me tonight. He was in the ministry, but he wasn't in the ministry. He was in the ministry, but he wasn't in the ministry. He was serving, but he wasn't serving. He thought he was holy, but he wasn't holy. His sin is taken away. His iniquities purged. I said, I quoted 2 Timothy 2.21 this morning. In a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver and wood of earth and some of honor and some of dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. And right at that moment, right at that moment, what you notice as we transition from verse 7 to verse 8, this, there's not a pause. This is happening right, right instantaneously. Simultaneously. He says, thy iniquity is purged. And then he said, also, as God purged him, as the seraphim was saying, thy sin is taken away and thy iniquity is purged. He said, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, I've heard Adonai, the God who's ruler and over everything. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. You see, he, he saw the holiness of God and it transformed him about his person. But it transformed him about his profession because he saw for the very first time and could understand the discerning and the calling. For the very first time, he discerned the calling of God in his life. It wasn't until he had this encounter with the holiness of God could he discern this calling of God. He discerned that God was calling. Look at it again. He says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, we don't find anywhere recorded about Isaiah's life that God asked him that question up until that moment. It was at the distinct moment of time that God said, Whom shall I send? And who will go? And at that moment of time, he received an understanding of the mission of God. Listen tonight. Many of us have a difficulty discerning God's call because either we're not listening, or we're too full of ourselves, or we have our eyes on the wrong king, or it might be because of unconfessed sin, and the entire Godhead is calling out to him. Notice the entire Godhead said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? God is calling. Jesus is calling. The Holy Spirit is calling. The triune God, the God is calling. Who will I go? There had to be discerning on his part. For the very first time, he discerned the call of God because he didn't wait. He didn't vacillate. He didn't waver. He didn't put it off to another day. Notice we see his discerning, but we see his decision. At that moment in time, he said, Here am I. Here am I, you count on me, amen? 
Here am I, send me. Because he saw the holiness of God face to face, he had this encounter with the holiness of God. And he got his calling, he got his discernment, he got made a decision. Here am I, send me. Notice his decision was prompt. He said, here I am, Lord, I'm here to report on duty. And his decision only was prompt. His decision was personal. He didn't volunteer somebody else. He said, I'm going. Send me, Lord. Send me. And you see, God had given him these messages. And God had told him to go to Judah. And God had told him what was coming down. I mean, we get to chapter 6 here. God has already told him at least two two times about the Babylonians who are going to come down from the north country. And how the Babylonians would come down and take them into captivity. And and Israel at that time was was being being affected by the Assyrians. As we get a little bit further, chapter 7, chapter 8, we're going to see how the Assyrians were, were afflicting reflecting uh, uh, King Ahaz there. And so we, we see all this happening here and happening in his life. And, he, and, he's, and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's seeing these things go on. But as far as he's concerned, he's thinking, you know what? I see all this happening, but, but you know, I'm, I'm taking the mess. I'm doing what, I, what, I, what God's telling me to do. But God had to, God, he was not getting across the way God wanted it to happen. And so he's telling King, he's telling Isaiah, or Isaiah, he says, now listen, somebody's got to go to these people and somebody's got to take the message to them. And somebody's got to tell them what they don't want to hear. And somebody's got to tell them it's going to be bad coming down. And somebody's got to tell them exactly the truth. And God, somebody's got to tell them exactly what God's word is. And he says, I'll make the decision. I'll go. And notice we find the directive. He says, go and tell this people. In verses 9 to 13, we see the directive. I'm done. Listen to what I'm going to say. Just one look. That's all he took. He saw the holiness of God. And his calling was clear. He saw the holiness of God and his message was very clear. Just one look at the holiness of God. His character was transformed. His speech was cleaned up. His thinking was positive. His mouth was right. He had a burden that he never had before. He had an urgency grip him. He says, he saw that holiness of God, just one look. As he heard those angelic beings say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Immediately at that moment of time, he said, whatever God you want, wherever God you want to send me, whatever God you want me to do, I'll do it. He said, he said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God is asking that still today. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here am I, send me. Listen tonight as we look, we'll look at this tonight as we close. Just one look is all it takes. Just one look at His holiness and you'll get your calling. And just one look at His holiness will change your soul winning. And just one look at His holiness will change your praying. And just one holiness will change, one look at His, at His holiness will change your motivation. And just one look at His holiness will change you so you're not exasperated and discouraged and you're falling apart and you can't serve God and do anything for Him. Just one look, that's all it took. And I'm saying tonight, it's all it takes is one look at God's holiness and it can turn your life around. Just one look at God's holiness humbled Him. Just one look at God's holiness gave him grace for the race. Amen. Just one look at God's holiness made him teachable. And let me tell you tonight, just one look at God's holiness made him a man of God. It made him a man of God. It made him a man of prayer. His message changed. His emphasis changed. His theology got right. His doctrine was correct. He wasn't vacillating, worrying about what the contemporary movement was doing. He was more concerned, what does my God want me to do? What does God want me to do? 
Someone said we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. You'll collect your paycheck in a couple days. Or if you get paid weekly or bi-weekly, you're going to get it days from now. We make a living by what we get. But you make lives by what you give. Isaiah was learning how to give. In fact, he got it. Right there, he got it. Just one look. I'll be honest with you tonight. If we just look at God's holiness, all I'd have to do is read some scripture to you tonight and say, hey, we need to take an offering for the giving by faith offering. And all of God's people, if we looked at his holiness, we would participate with enthusiasm. Or I could present to you the need in a particular country, the 1040 window. Without hesitation, young couples, young families, men would surrender and say, here am I, send me. Yeah. You young people get a look at God's holiness. You can go into the public school system. And you'd say this, it doesn't matter what the rules are. What gatekeepers are in the way. Here am I, Lord, send me. You're my, send me. You see, our barrier, every barrier we have, every barrier we have, every barrier to success, every barrier to answered prayer, every barrier to the mission field, every barrier to God calling men to, the, to serving God is because we have not had that one look of His holiness. Just one look. That's all it took. Just one look. Just one look at God's holiness will make you a soul winner. Just one look at God's holiness will change your marriage. Just one look at God's holiness will change your entertainment. Hey, hey, hey. Just one look at God's holiness will change your friendships. Just one look at God's holiness could change his church. We could be in a perpetual state of revival all the time. Just one look at his holiness. And I'll tell you tonight, the church should be full. Just one look at his holiness. We can pay off the building debt. Hey, just one look at his holiness. God could create a movement missionaries and preachers be sent out of this church. Some of you remember Dr. Raymond Barber. He's a very old man now in very bad health. We saw him, I think, two years ago. I think it was about two years ago we saw him, right? His mind is still sharp, but his body is very weak. First time Brother Barber came, I'll be honest with you, he's, he's a great man of God. And I, we went sewing together. I, 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 felt like a, I felt like a fish out of water. I said, what am I doing with this man of God? You know, he quotes the Bible. I mean, he's just, he's just, he's, he's a man of God. He so encouraged me with so many things. But I asked him a question. I said, Dr. Barber, you trained under J. Frank Norris back in those early days. 
J. Frank Norris was rough, but he was a great fundamentalist. He was rough. He was really rough. You guys would probably run out of the church if he came here to preach, okay? I mean, just he was rough. He was really rough. He said, that wasn't what changed my life. He said, what changed my life was my daddy. I said, what do you mean? So he said, Brother Fong, he said, I grew up in the hills of West Virginia. My daddy was an old hillbilly preacher. His church probably never ran more than 50 to 75 people. But he said, Brother Fong, there's over 100 men that got called to preach at that little church that circled that whole part of the United States. Just one look. That's all it took. Just one look. We have to stop playing church. We have to stop putting on a charade. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Unclean. I'm a man with unclean lips. Check out His garments. Check out the warp and the woof. It's spreading. Burn it. Woe is me. I'm undone. Whom shall I send? Who will go? Here am I. Send me. Just one look. Just one look. That's all it took. Would you look full in the face of our Lord tonight? Seem high and lifted up. Would you listen as the chorus of heaven right now is celebrating our God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Father, tonight, what incredible thought. One look was all it took. To change a man, give him a mission, give him a message, give him motivation. In one moment, that one look changed his outlook on purity. It changed what he would read. Who did he associate with? What did he indulge himself in? Just one look. That's all it took. Lord, tonight I pray that we would feel as a church like Isaiah did at that moment. He had awe. He was in awe. But he was filled with great contriteness. Woe is me. Lord, would you speak to us tonight for this moment about maybe one particular sin that we're not right with you about, that we would even say, woe is me? Would you help us to think about the things we should have said but we have never said or didn't say enough of?
Would you give us holy palpitations to be ready to respond to a holy God who needs labors for the harvest? Lord, I pray tonight for young people that will claim their schools and campuses and church members who work in perhaps very hostile, ungodly, atheistic, anti-God, anti-Christ, pagan work cultures. Who cares? They pay your commuter costs. Who cares all the employee benefits they give if the culture there is ungodly? Not befitting for a child of God. Would you help us to see your holiness? That we would see these people, that we're to go and tell these people. Would you help us, Lord, to see the Lord high and lifted up, whose train fills the temple? Work a heart, a work of revival in our hearts tonight. Holiness needs to change us. Holiness must change us. Your holiness must change us tonight. We're to be partakers of your holiness. The Bible says we're to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. And Lord, perchance tonight someone's here, they're not sure they're saved and going to heaven. The encounter with God's holiness shows us that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of this message tonight, I pray for someone who's not sure they're saved to get saved tonight. Call upon the name of the Lord to save them. They'd realize that the holiness of God shows us their sin, but it shows us a God who lovingly sent His Son to be the perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute for our sins. Would you save souls tonight? Would you revive us again? As we give the altar, we want to come reverently before our holy God tonight. Because just one look is all it took for Isaiah. I pray these things now, Lord, in the powerful, holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Brother Vaughn's playing. I'm going to ask you to stand tonight. If you need to come, would you come tonight? Would you come and gaze into his face? Just one look. Just one look. That's all it took. Change your devotions. Change your praying. Change your attitude. Change everything. Just one look. An amazing thought. Just one look. That's all it took. He saw that leprosy. He saw what it did to that man. But he saw what holiness could do for someone who looks full in the face of Jesus. Would you grasp it tonight? Get all the way in. Because when you see his holiness, you're going to be like Isaiah. You can get all the way in. You're not going to be partial. You're going to be all the way in. You'll be there. It'll help us to see our self-righteousness. Our conceitedness. How utterly worthless we are. How utterly despicable we are apart from God. How about it tonight? Father, tonight, thank you so much for being loving, kind, and gracious to us. Help change our lives through your holiness this evening. Thank you for this passage of scripture. So encouraging, so helpful to us. Give us discernment this evening as you did to Isaiah. Thank you for the work you do in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.